Well, today I'm going to light our third candle, the candle of joy, which we could all use a little joy, I'm sure, this morning. Um, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Amen. And I think, you know, I love that we do joy the same day as the pageant because it sets the right tone, doesn't it? I think that there's something about these little ones. Um, God, so many good moments in there, but well done, Quinn. Fantastic baby Jesus this year. Super proud of her. Just brilliant kids, right? And like, Owen can sing. That was awesome. So good. I just love it. I love all the little interactions. Ruthie and Sarah like helping each other out. It's just like so good. And I think there's something about watching children that helps us to remember what it is like to have joy. That that joy is something that we unfortunately can tend to grow out of as life goes on. And a, a lot of reasons behind that. Life is difficult and um, we get weary. Life is filled with so many unknowns and we experience tragedies that kind of knock us off course. But joy is something that, that we're reminded scripturally to be cultivating, nurturing, protecting this joy. We need it. It's our strength. It's, it's kind of what we run on. It's our fuel. And so something about glimmering back and remembering that joy, rediscovering that joy is an important part of the discipline, I think, of walking the Christian life. I I remember years ago reading a book called Messy Spirituality by uh, Mike Iaconelli, I think. He was a youth ministry guy. And um, he told this story of going to his child's softball game and um, there was a kid on the team that had Down syndrome. And every game, you know, everybody were like on their feet, you know, encouraging this kid forward. But it was a continual struggle and a kind of continual defeat until in their last game, this kid just swings blindly and nails it and just sends the ball flying. And everybody's on their feet. Everybody's roaring in applause as this kid is taking base after base after base, rounds third base, and sees a dog (laughs) and just makes a total right turn and goes running straight over to the dog, right? And you think it's moments like this where we're like, good call, right? That that sometimes what we care so much about, we've, we've forgotten that maybe there's something a little more pure of heart there. That, that the surprise of that, I think that sort of unlooked for realization of like, oh yeah, that's the goodness. That that's what the texture of joy is like. It catches us off guard, I think, at times. But, but when it does, it brings with it delight. And see, I don't think we can get joy without delight. I, I think the two kind of go hand in hand. It's a helpful word in understanding not just moments of life that we experience, but what should be a sort of underlying texture to our lives. That life should be a life of delight. 
I like how Dallas Willard defines joy. He says, joy is not the mere sensation of pleasure. It's a pervasive, constant, and unending sense of well-being that flows from vision, peace, righteousness, and hope. True joy is robust, even including outright hilarity. We can experience the joy of being in God's kingdom, even in the midst of suffering and loss. Sometimes especially in the midst of that. It's so tied to our previous themes. And, and we begin Advent with this reminder of hope that, that we live in this tension of two Advents, of a, looking back into history at a, a firm anchor of Christ entering into the story of mankind with redemption. And then a promised future anchor pulling us towards this eternity, towards this sense of completion towards this beautiful promise of redemption. That that reality gives us courage to live in this place of peace. That while peace has not been fully realized in this world, uh, that we can be a presence of peace with that hope anchoring us secure. But I think that peacefulness then becomes kind of the, the, the context in which joy emerges. It's almost like the soil that it grows out of. And I think sometimes we've, we've taken joy and turned it into something more serious than it is. The sort of mature, more stoic sort of joy. But the truth is that, that I think sometimes we can misunderstand holiness and turn it into something that loses delight. It loses wonder. I remember going with a friend of mine, J.P. Moreland was speaking at this conference and it was um, a discernment conference and it kind of a, an apologetics kind of drive behind the whole thing, which, you know, I he's so wonderful in that arena and I loved it. But as we were walking in, he said something that I'll never forget. He goes, prepare to meet some of the saddest people you've ever met. And I was like... You're kidding. And he was like, you know, there's something about turning religion into just propositions and like truths to defend and argue against that, that can lose the joy. That when we have a, a faith that's built around arguments, that it becomes this tight, clenched defense, that, that we lose the freedom, we lose the wonder. We lose the delight. And, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't go after truth and go after it hard, right? But it's our faith is something much deeper than that. And this idea of merriment, that ought to be the description of the church, that ought to be the description of Christians. Not a forced merriment, but one that's rooted in something deep and substantial. Jeremiah 31:13 says, "Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow." And as we come to this theme, we celebrate the promise of this reality to come that mourning and sadness will turn to joy and to gladness. 
But we also are reminded that it's here now for us to experience, even in the midst of hardship. But it requires us to pay attention. Like our story of Christmas that is one of God coming in in a way so small. I, I loved that in, in the parts that Toby was narrating, talking about the surprise of that, the gift of that joy, kind of coming in under the radar. And it's this reminder that too easily we miss it, that our preoccupations take us away from joy. Even our pursuit of happiness oftentimes ends up destroying the actual pleasure or the deeper pleasure. There's a verse in Hebrews where it's talking about Moses and says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And I pick that verse just because I love that last sort of description of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And I think so often in life, that is what we settle for. Even as followers of Jesus, we will settle for the fleeting pleasures of sin. And it's always a sort of ripoff. It's it, the kind of nature of sin is that it, it always fails to produce what it promises. It, it's this like idea of diminishing returns. That what it offers, it never quite satisfies. And the cost is usually greater than we expect. What it brings with it is shame and guilt, discouragement. That quick little fleeting pleasure is followed by a, a deep sense of sadness. And when you compound that over and over, a deeper sense of numbness. And so pushing against this, we see joy. Part of how we protect it is a sort of discipline to guard our hearts. This, as Proverbs says, wellspring of life. I love that we have the book of Ecclesiastes in Scripture. It's a book of wisdom, but but from a pretty dark place that Solomon at the end of his life has partaken in every pleasure and finds himself disillusioned. And seeing life as vanity, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? And this, to me, I think is probably the thing that causes God the most sadness is this sort of opportunity of life and the abundance of life missed. Hearts robbed of the deeper pleasure. God doesn't think that our passions are too small. He thinks they should be larger than they are, but we should be longing for the things that will truly satisfy us. And lacking gladness, lacking joy in our lives, I think there's a couple other things that we have to be careful of that can rob us of it that can steal our joy. I think of how our tendency is to almost inflict this same sort of numbing on ourselves. We pursue pleasure in a way to avoid pain. And I like how uh, Brene Brown said famously, um, we can't selectively numb. 
that if our way of protecting joy is to medicate ourselves by, by numbing the sadness, numbing the depression, that the joy as well gets numbed. So oftentimes in our pursuit of pleasure, we find ourselves becoming more and more distant from the thing we crave. <clears throat> I think that sometimes we, we turn to kind of critical thinking and judgment as a way to try to um, hold on to some of that pleasure or happiness. We, we get stuck in comparison and judgment. And I think that's kind of what JP was talking about there with this discernment that that it turns into a, a way of looking and, and viewing others through a comparative lens. I think judgment is toxic to joy. I think also we, we can tend to like want to comfort ourselves by holding on to negative emotions like worry and anxiety, almost in, in our desperation, trying to figure things out for ourselves. I don't know if any of you do this. I do this. Uh, my wife refers to it as my cycle of impending doom that I spiral down into. Does anybody else spiral into impending doom? Like, oh, right? It's this way of, like in life, choosing, almost choosing the worry as a way of trying to fix something inside. And that in that cycle, you tend to just get further and further and further down. Somebody once compared that to, like, touching a stove and then like leaving your hand on a burning stove that we choose worry or anxiety. And I'm not talking about clinical depression. I think that's a very real thing, but oftentimes our way of sort of guarding our hearts, we avoid, we live in denial, we overindulge. And scripture is inviting us to live our life in a way much different than that. It's talking about cultivating the soil of our hearts, so that joy becomes one of the natural things that grow from it. In Galatians 5.22, gives us the fruit of the Spirit, and joy is one of those. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. This doesn't mean get rid of desire. This doesn't mean pursue passion. It means pursue the right ones, the deeper ones. And this idea of the, our hearts being the soil in which God is planting these seeds, to me, is such a helpful analogy. Because the work that we do is by uh, protecting the soil, or even revitalizing the soil. Has anybody watched the movie, um, what is it, Biggest Little Farm? Has anybody seen that? It's such a great, such a great movie about these people taking this piece of land and, and kind of bringing it back to health. But, um, but the, the soil on it is terrible. It's been leached of all its valuable properties. And so they have to spend all this time restoring it. It's interesting what you use to restore it. You can probably guess manure. And they, they come up with this elaborate way of, of like bringing these worms into it and it's like revitalized all this through worm poop and it's like, you know, this composting, right? This is what takes place. But, but to me, I think it shows an interesting sort of analogy where you go, our life is filled with difficulties. It is filled with hardship and brokenness and anxiety. 
But if we approach this right, we can let that be transformed to change. And we do it by discipline. I love in Philippians 4, these are familiar verses probably to most of you, but Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Which means to experience joy. That word rejoice, actually in the Greek it was, um, how do you pronounce it? Hereta? It's, um, it's a way that they would say hello to each other. It's a greeting. When they would see each other, they would say rejoice. Kind of like if you said aloha or pura vida or something like this, right? It's a way of reminding them with a hello to rejoice, to experience joy. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice takes work, right? We are cultivating soil. It takes time to change. So what do you do? You focus on the things that bring delight. You focus on things that are beautiful. You focus on things that are good. It's what we got to do this morning as we watch all of these kids up here. We get to set our minds on the things that truly matter. I love how Chesterton says, thanks are the highest form of thought. And gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. The highest form of thought is not argument or critical thinking. It's, it's not acquiring more and more propositional truth. Like the highest form of thought is gratitude. To live in that space, that should be sort of the default setting that we go to. But it's not, right? I think for us, naturally, we move toward worry. We move toward anxiety. We move even towards despair. But how important for us to start to change our minds. Chesterton says in in Orthodoxy, he says, Man is more himself, man is more manlike when joy is the fundamental thing in him and grief the superficial. Melancholy should be an innocent, innocent interlude a tender and fugitive frame of mind. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. Pessimism is at best an emotional half-holiday. Joy is the uproarious labor by which all things live. That's not meant to be a scold or um, to to say, come on, you guys. I, I think it's an invitation I think sometimes we think almost can feel guilty for experiencing too much joy. And he's saying, no, 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 that is like where we should live. Not in denial of hardship, but when they happen, we see them, we experience them, and then we move forward. And to live in this space, I think at first 
we have to almost be caught off guard to experience joy. But, but as we learn, we, we start to recognize it more and more clearly. I was thinking about a time when Patty and I were walking on the Camino and it just started to downpour the rain in Spain. And, and we went like running for cover into this tiny little cafe and everybody had the same idea at once. We all kind of like plowed into this like tiny little spot. We had this table off to the side. And so Patty orders a hot chocolate, and here we are in the midst of this, like, kind of what feels like a calamitous situation, but we're giggling, and she drinks this hot chocolate and goes, oh, that's the best hot chocolate I've ever had in my life. I bet you if we go back, it's not going to taste that good, right? You go, um, something about it, like, almost opens our eyes, right, in the disruption of things. That, that we're like actually present. We're here in moments like that. And experiencing that way of being in life, this should be part of our daily rhythm. We're setting our minds on the things that really matter. Focusing on the things that are good and taking pleasure in those things. I read a book by a man named Ross Gay called The Book of Delights. And it's a bunch of essays that he wrote um, for a whole year writing about delight. And um, it's great. He loves words. So every single word, even like essay, he was saying essay is like this French word that means to try. And I think so often we think of an essay as like, here's the, here's my final answer as instead of just simply my attempt. But he writes, it didn't take me long to learn that the discipline of practice of writing these essays occasioned a kind of delight radar. Or maybe it was more like the development of a delight muscle. Something that implies that the more you study delight, the more delight there is to study. This is, to me, I think, part of this discipline that Paul is teaching us in Philippians. Set your mind on it, and then you'll start to see it over and over and over again. And there it is, and there it is, and there it is. You start to get this radar for joy. You're looking at these small things that otherwise go unnoticed in our hurry and in our busyness. Learning to move at that pace. Learning to um, to live at a, at a pace where you can see, notice, and savor joy. I was going to tell everybody here for Christmas, if you don't have one, you should get a Chemex. Do you know what that is? Pour over coffee maker? Nobody, I'm getting blank looks. All right, all right. Scared me there for a second. If you don't drink coffee, you should. Um, Just this like morning ritual. It takes time. You like have to grind the beans and, you know, and get it just right and measure them out and you pour it over slowly. And my friend taught me how to do this. He's a barista and, um, and he goes, Jeff, that first pour, promise me you'll just stick your face right in that Chemex and breathe in, right? And, and I, so you don't need to go buy a Chemex and if you don't like coffee, that's okay. But, but that way of like savoring and slowing down to me has been such a good part of starting my day. And I take that time and I pray. I take that time and I breathe that in and I go, oh, thank you, God, for coffee. 
But I think this way of like savoring goodness when it comes, letting ourselves like hold on to that, reminding ourselves that life is filled with these kind of moments, the permission to live in that space. This is what God desires. I know this because he talks about himself as our father, and I experience this when I watch my own kids really enjoying life, really being who they are. That idea of seeing them delighted, so fun as a parent. What must God think when he sees you delighted? Not like, uh, come on, grow up. Let's be more serious about this. No, I think this gives God such joy. And these little breadcrumbs, I think, that God gives us, the, the beauty is they're, they're leading us towards something that's not trivial, but really deep and significant. I was sharing with our young adults this last week that... Um, which we made gingerbread houses, and it was like so joyful. It's really fun. But um, how Christmas, this whole thing happens on a scale that's too small, nobody notices it, but also on a scale too large, nobody notices it, except for this group of astrologers that see this star in the sky and tie it into an old prophecy they had heard and come and find Jesus. That it's happening as a baby, but it's also happening as this, happening as this cosmic event. People miss it because they're obsessing over the occupation that's ex- that they're um, currently undergoing, which is a real thing, right? But God is working on kind of these two levels at once, this very small level and on this larger scale. And we're invited, I think, in so many ways to think at both, to see these things as actually, as it turns out, connected that these breadcrumbs of goodness are leading us, but leading us towards a reality that is so much bigger than we imagine. A promise of things being set right. A promise of eternity. And David looks to the night sky and he sees the stars and says, what is man that you would think of him? And then says, and yet you have made him a little lower than an angel. And we talk about how Advent has lived in this tension between these, the, the here and now and the what is yet to come. This small scale and this large scale, God operates in both these worlds at once. And in the midst of this, we are reminded that we have not yet arrived in our true destination, that we will experience hardship in this life. We will experience suffering. Like we talked about last week, Jesus says, It's a part of it, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And that statement yields peace. And that peace allows us to live in freedom in this world and to hold on to the joy as it comes. I've read this to you before, but it's one of my favorites. C.S. Lewis says, The settled happiness and security which we all desire, God withholds from us by the very nature of the world, but joy, pleasure, and merriment He's scattered, broadcast. We're never safe, but we have plenty of fun and some ecstasy. It's not hard to see why the security we crave would teach us to rest our hearts in this world and oppose an, and oppose an obstacle to our return to God. 
a few moments of happy love, a landscape, a symphony, a merry meeting with friends, a bath or a football match have no such tendency. He says, our father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. And joy, we get these wonderful gifts of joy in this life and we're to cherish them, we're to savor them, to hold on to them. But in this world, we're meant to also give them away. And this to me is part of what we're called to as a church, to be a place where we are receiving this gladness and then looking for those who need it and giving them that joy. Paul's going to say, this is how you make his joy complete. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in this humility, considering others more important than yourselves. This is how joy is made complete. And I think for us, this is our opportunity at a season like this. Oftentimes, Christmas is a time where there's a combination of these two things. There's joy, but there's also heartbreak. There's a lot of pain in a season like this. And realizing these things that bring you delight are these things that are about you. I love this, and and I know we're out of time, but the, the truth is your joy tells you so much about who you are. And not all of us delight in the same things, but can offer each other a window into those delights. And thinking about that, the freedom for you to follow those threads deeper is this way of understanding who you are and who you're called to be. I just wanted to take a moment and to say that this Christmas, what I'm savoring is you. And, um, and it has been a journey and a hard road at times. And I think it's easy for me to get in this mindset of like, what is there next to fix? (laughs) Or what's coming? Or, you know, and I feel God just saying to me over and over, oh, Jeff, savor this. And it feels like a sweet season for us as a church. But I'm so grateful for you. And I'm lingering on that. Seeing the work that God does seeing the way he shows us each who we are and then points us to the future and says, keep going. I have some questions, of course, for you, for going deeper. What things in your life rob you of joy? How much of your time do you spend feeling anxious, worried, irritated, or jealous? Begin by paying attention to these thoughts. Are there triggers to them that can be avoided? I, of course, put social media or too much news. Any of these things, be, be mindful, even be vigilant of that. What are the things that steal and rob you of your joy? Guard your heart from those things. Listen to the rain, that gives me joy. How comfortable are you with experiencing joy and gladness? What are the things in your life that bring you delight? 
How might you learn to linger in delight and savor gladness? Permission there. We're called to it. And number three, how might you use joy in your life to bring gladness to another? At this time of year, who might you connect with as a gift of kindness? And that might just be a word, that might be a note, that might be a small gift, that might be a compliment at the right time, that might just be sitting with somebody who's experiencing something really hard. Just your presence can be a gift of joy. Would you stand with me? If you would like prayer this morning, we'll have people down front that will pray with you. Thank you guys for being here. Um, I just look forward to this every year. Make sure you tell Toby that she's brilliant for what she did. As you go, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Stay dry, stay healthy. Love you guys.